It is our practice, as uh, most of you know already, to uh, reflect on the epistle reading for the week during our morning, Wednesday morning worship and prayer time. And this, this week, the scripture is found in the sixth chapter of Romans, verses 1 through 11. Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin go on living in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might be, may walk in the newness of life. For we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. <clears throat> we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For whoever has died is freed from sin. But if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Whenever I read this passage of scripture, I'm reminded of the term cheap grace. A term that gained popularity through a book written by the German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer called The Cost of Discipleship, published in 1937. And in that book, Bonhoeffer defined cheap grace as the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, and he goes on to say cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ. However, the first thing to say right now in the way of reflecting on this text is that this text com is com composed of a few sentences right in the middle of a conversation. Early on in this letter to the Romans, Paul has been laying theological foundations about the nature of God's grace, who Jesus is to the world, and how forgiveness has been won through Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross. And with this strange and provocative question, Paul begins to address the practical implications of God's grace for each of us. What then are we to say? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? <clears throat> Just prior to this, Paul had been outlining the enormity of God's grace and the sheer depth of God's forgiveness and love. So it makes you wonder if in raising this question, Paul is not representing what he perceived to be in the mind of the people. And to be honest with you, I wonder if the question doesn't reflect an attitude that many of us have 
to some extent. The attitude being that we can hold lightly the things we do wrong because in the back of our minds, we know that God's going to forgive us. I think most of us know what that looks like. You know, when we think, well, I shouldn't really do this, but God's going to forgive me, so I'll go ahead and do it anyway. Now, of course, few of us would actually say those words, right? But does it ever come to the back of our minds? You know, akin to this kind of thinking is that popular, cliche-ish type phrase that you often hear from people. It is easier to ask for forgiveness than to get permission. But it's this kind of mindset that Paul names. He calls the elephant in the room. It's cheap grace. And to this cheap grace, Paul says, by no means. Cheap grace is a justification of the sin, but not the sinner. It means living as the world lives and stay as the world stays. It means there is no desire to live differently, to be changed through repentance, to be transformed or to be a transformational presence in the world. It means cheap grace is what we have bestowed on ourselves to get a quick and easy get-out-of-jail card for free. Cheap grace is preaching forgiveness without repentance. It means taking our resentments and our prejudices to the communion table to share with God's people without repentance and without reconciliation. It is like absolution without personal confession. It is turning God into our image and our worldview. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Can you imagine grace without the living Christ? It's that kind of grace that relegates us to a place without hope, without the opportunity to change or be transformed. It shortchanges God and affirms and confirms the present power structures around and among us and the belief that we can act apart from God. Cheap grace is grace without vision, without hope, without love. Ironically and interestingly enough, though, the reason Paul gives in this text for not behaving like that is really not a moral argument. He doesn't say that it's just a bad attitude to have. Instead, he gives a deep theological reason for why it's actually impossible to go on living with that attitude knowing that we are united with Christ. Paul points out that something has happened that makes that kind of living impossible. As Christians fully united with Jesus Christ, who died, was buried, and resurrected, once we were dead to God and living under the power of sin, but now in Christ we are dead to the power of sin and living under the power of God. In other words, there's been a reversal of our destiny as well as a reversal of our way of living. And the more we meditate on that truth, 
the more we allow that truth to become a reality in our lives, and the more ridiculous the idea of sinning to obtain grace becomes. <clears throat> the truth is, as Christ's followers, we no longer want to treat God's grace this way. We no longer want to treat God's grace like some cheap commodity and continue to act contrary to what we know is right and honest, and even if we know we will be forgiven. I don't think any of us want to cheapen our relationship with God. And I think this is what Paul is encouraging his hearers or his readers in this text. So what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it? Salvation by grace alone, through faith, is so much more than simply mouthing the words, Jesus is Lord. A careful reading of the entire books, book of Romans, as well as the book of James, and especially the second chapter of James, would remind us that we are saved by living in an active faith, a faith that manifests itself in repentance, in obedience, and in love, love of God as well as love of neighbor. I think Paul is saying in so many words that salvation is not a transaction. It's a transformation. Paul says the best when he says in 2 Corinthians 5 that we are new creations in Christ Jesus. There is nothing cheap about the grace that we have received. And the fact is that grace is very costly. Our call to discipleship is a call that has us leave, leaving everything that we have to follow Jesus. And most of the time, without even counting the costs, it leaves no wiggle room to evade that which is right and righteous. The grace we have is costly because it can be ever so deep and ever so profound, sometimes even costing people their lives. But above, above all of the costs, discipleship might be for us. Grace is costly because it's costly to God, because it costs God the life of God's Son. And nothing can be cheap to us if it's costly to God. And in spite of the cost of God's grace to us, any time we remember our baptism, Paul says, we are reminded that the life we now live is a life of great value. And thanks be to God, we do not have to live a life of cheap grace. Amen. Amen. <clears throat>